What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Therapy as a Christian podcast. I am so excited about this interview, you all, as I will be interviewing my sis, Melina I was so excited to actually interview her because she has such a powerful story. She is a two-time sexual assault survivor, as well as a licensed therapist in the state of New York and Connecticut. And I am so happy that I got an opportunity to interview her because her story is so powerful. She is someone who has such a powerful testimony, but not only that, as a black woman, as a mom, as someone who is working through her healing journey, having had been sexually assaulted, as well as dealing with childhood trauma. She also has such a passion for helping other women who have experienced trauma. So if you are someone that has gone through any type of trauma and you want to work with her and you live in Connecticut or New York, please, please, please take advantage of her information. She is actually going to be taking on new clients in January, but go ahead and feel free to reach out to her. I'll have her Instagram and her email in the show notes. This episode was so, so good. Like I said, and it just shows the power of God. She talked so much about intimacy and relationships, especially for people who have experienced sexual assault and struggle with intimacy in relationships, as well as just the conversation of shame as it came to sex, um, relationships, uh, dysfunctional relationships with our parents, especially our moms. And so just diving into this episode, I think if you have experienced that type of trauma, you are going to get so much out of it. And so I really, really hope that this episode blesses you. Feel free to contact her or follow her on Instagram and definitely, definitely take advantage of her services if you live in the New York or Connecticut area. All right, you all, I love you so much. And now let's get into the show. The Therapy is a Christian podcast is all things mental health and Christ. We specifically talk about how mental health and God are merged together to foster growth, healing, and making mental health a normal conversation. I'm your host, Roz and Renee, and welcome to the show. Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Therapy as a Christian podcast. I'm your host, Rosa Renee, and welcome to another episode of the show. And I am super excited today for another interview in that I'm going to be interviewing one of my business coaching sisters, Miss <laughs> <laughs> Melina Sadler. Um, she is going, she actually is a part of the coaching program that I'm a part of with Miss Jasmine Chanel, which y'all know because y'all heard Jasmine uh, when I did the entrepreneur and therapy podcast and so Melina has an amazing story and I'm super super excited for y'all to hear it today so I'm going to introduce my sister Melina Sadler who is a licensed mental health counselor and say hey girl hey <laughs> hi everyone I'm definitely happy to be here um like Rosin said I'm Melina Sadler I am based out in New York City from the Bronx 
I am a licensed mental health counselor in the state of New York, and I'm also a licensed professional counselor in the state of Connecticut. So I work with clients in both states. Um, I am a two-time um, sexual assault survivor, and I've always known I wanted to be a therapist. So I went into that, but I didn't exactly know who I wanted to work with. And just kind of going through my own healing journey, I eventually figured out that I should you know, work with women like myself because I realized that there was an increased need just especially with everything that's been going on in the media, yes. you know, a lot of the backlash around like the Me Too movement and stuff like that. And people really not understanding, you know, what survivors need and just why, you know, we have the issues that we have. So I figured, you know, who better to work with women like myself other than, you know, myself who's gone through it too. Yes. Okay. So how long have you been a therapist? I have been a licensed therapist for the last three years, but I've been in the field for about eight years now. Yeah. Okay. So do you work um, like independently or do you work for organization or how does that work? So right now I'm kind of in a transition process. I started off working as an independent contractor for a nonprofit. Originally it was based in Brooklyn, but now it's expanded through Georgia and Maryland. So I'm working with you know, the clients that come through her practice, but I'm in the process of starting my own practice, um, which is pretty much mostly, you know, telehealth. So it'll be mostly online, which is what I have experience in. I'm board certified to provide that. Um, so that's, that's basically what I'll be doing. I'll be doing like an intensive program with um, women who are survivors of sexual yes. assault. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> okay. So as a therapist, tell us what got you into the field. Because I know that that can okay. be a long story for everybody. Cause <laughs> so yeah, so tell us. Okay, so um, what got me into the field growing up, I definitely had some childhood trauma. Um, unfortunately, a lot of it still lingers, you know, mostly with my parents. Um, culturally, my parents are not from this country. They're from the Caribbean, you know, so they have a lot of ideals, beliefs, and expectations on, you know, life and how you're supposed to live your life. And I think with them being, you know, me kind of being first generation, they kind of had this idea of, I brought you, you know, well, they didn't bring me here, I was born here, but just kind of like, I brought you to this country, you know, I gave birth to you here, I gave you all these resources, you have school, you have education, you have all these things, be perfect, you know, just yeah. do what you got to do, you have everything I never had, so there's no excuses, you know, like there's no uh, such thing as failure, um, and there was a lot of things that I struggled with from a very young age, I struggled with, uh, one of the biggest things I struggled with was being Black, you know, and not really understanding the differences in race and culture. And I think because my parents came from a place where most people looked like them, they didn't really understand things um, like racism um, and stuff like that. And I grew up around a lot of people who were fair skinned compared to me. So I definitely struggled with being the darker skin, one of the group, the one whose hair was a little bit different. I was a little bit chunkier than everybody else. And you know, I would come home and I would talk about these things and I never really got any reassurance um, from my parents. Um, you know, one thing I struggle with with my mom is she doesn't claim any of my features. So I would be like, you know, as a kid, like, oh, mommy, my hair looks like, no, it doesn't. That's not my nose. That's not, you know, just things that, you know, would be considered racist, you know, if someone pointed out about a black person, you know, so I grew up feeling very ugly. Um, 
you know, I felt like I was inferior. I didn't understand why the world worked the way it did. And it literally got to the point where my mom had to tell people to stop buying me like Barbie dolls and stuff like that, because I hated black dolls. I only wanted white dolls. I didn't love myself at all. Um, my father used to say things to me like, you know, ugly duckling, when are you going to become a swan? You know, do you plan to get plastic surgery when you get older to fix that nose? You know, things like that. And then by the time I got to school around like third, fourth grade, I was hearing a lot of the same thing. So at that point, I was like, okay, you know, I am the ugly one, or I am the one who's struggling with, you know, these things. So when I told my parents, they were like, oh my God, you're being bullied. You know, they wanted to handle it but I was just kind of like I get bullied at school and home so it's like how am I supposed to feel um, about myself and I noticed a lot of those patterns came from you know their parents you know um, my mom was not raised by my grandmother um, unfortunately she passed away three years ago but she was very hard on my mom and all of her siblings uh, my mom is one of I think like seven and out of seven she and the brother right behind her are the only dark-skinned ones everybody else is really really pale like really really light skin and I think a lot of what she was saying to me was just kind of you know from her own childhood what she's heard by projecting um, projecting right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right so projecting that and and I think just being a, a woman I think just being hard on me because I'm a woman and you know, the things that I'll probably face in life. So instead of having that nurturing aspect of be careful with this, be careful with that, don't listen to this, believe that you're beautiful and this and this, she just kind of feel like in some ways threw me out <laughs> into the fire. Um, you know, and she kept me on a very tight leash. Like the only places I went was school and church. Um, I grew up in church, you know, so those were the only places that I had social skills and, you know, anything outside of that just wasn't supposed to be a part of my life. So, I ended up struggling um, with that even more because the way she would talk to me didn't feel very Christian-like, um, but I definitely grew up with that whole, like, what I say goes kind of thing. Don't question me. Don't ask me why. Don't do this. What I say goes, you know, just do what I say. So, you know, I, I definitely struggled with that and trying to understand um, Christianity to that level of, you know, if if God wants us to act this way or treat people the way we want to be treated, why are you treating me this way? So yeah. that's kind of how I decided to go into therapy because I realized a lot of people struggle, you know, with these yeah. things. And so what was the thing that triggered you to say, I want to help people in this way? Because I'm, I'm thinking of just like that being childhood. And then of course, going into adulthood, like, were you in a class in school and you just knew you wanted to do it? Or was it just something that kind of fell into your, into in your lap? Um, I think, I think what happened for me was kind of like a, a breaking point around the age, I would say 15 in high school. I noticed that people struggled with things like depression and anxiety. Um, the more I got to know some people, I noticed that they were having similar issues like me. So I was like, you know, I would like to go to college to, you know, be this profession so that I can, you know, work with people. And I was very interested in how, you know, the mind worked and the behaviors and just how socialization really, you know, shaped different people. Like, you know, people can kind of go through the same things, but have so many different outcomes. So I went to school kind of with that notion, but then I realized I was severely depressed and anxious yeah. and that's when I started seeking therapy for myself. And um, 
unfortunately, I went to school with, um, I went to school in Vermont, my undergrad, so it's predominantly a white state. Um, I dealt with a lot of uh, white uh, professionals and I realized that disconnect of you don't understand what I'm saying, you don't know where I come from, you know, and stuff like that. So I was just like, why can't I find someone of color that, you know, can help me with these issues? And unfortunately, there was no one, you know, there was no black therapist on campus. You know, all I had was kind of like the support system they put in place for the students of color. Um, I know when I started college back in 2007, I know the Black African American community made up only 4% of the school's population. So it was really, really small. So I ended up clinging to the people of color that were there to kind of assist us as our own little support. Um, and that's really what made me want to go to grad school to like really seal the deal and be a Black therapist. Yeah, yeah. And so kind of going along with that now as a therapist what do you feel like you specialize in because one I'll say as somebody who has been in the field I've been in the field since 2012 so about close to eight years um, but it's taken me four to get like my hours done to be able to become licensed um, right. and so I still kind of struggle with like what do I want to specialize in like what is the thing that makes me unique that I want to do and so mm. it's always been like one of those things that I've wanted to explore so like I love hearing about when a therapist finds their specialty and like mm-hmm. find your client so what do you what do you think you specialize in I would definitely say I specialize in trauma definitely trauma and and I agree you know it takes a while for you to kind of figure out like hmm, you know what do you do um because I think a lot of people struggle with depression anxiety those are like the two big ones but I realize when people have childhood trauma like that's a whole nother level of you know just things going on in their life you know yes. the depression started somewhere you know so yes. It's a um, lot of unpacking and sitting in and allowing you as the therapist to sit in the pain with the with the client. Yes. Yeah. And and I've noticed, you know, just even working um, with this practice, my clients that have that childhood trauma, they present very differently than someone who's like, oh, I've been depressed for the last two years. Because Ooh, talk about that. Girl. Talk about <laughs> that. OK, so OK, because I don't want to jump the gun because I do <laughs> to like your story, but but talk about the difference because that's something I say all the time. Like Mm -hmm. y'all know, I say on my podcast, you have to deal with, you have to go back. And Mm -hmm. with God, you really can't like not go back because he going to bring up stuff that's like, oh yeah, go back to when you were eight years old and somebody said this to you. And then somebody else said it to you again when you were 25. And then you were like, upset and you were wondering why I'm upset but same person put it to you at eight or somebody else said it to you at eight and you don't know why and so like the presentation of and what trauma looks like for somebody who struggled with childhood trauma like what does that actually look like when somebody is struggling with childhood trauma okay so so someone that's struggling with childhood trauma, there's two things that I've seen. I definitely see a lot of them as kind of like that happy-go-lucky person, like that overly bubbly person. And, you know, I think that that's just kind of the defense mechanism of, I don't want you to know anything's wrong with me. That's kind of their smokescreen. But then you have the ones that are like 
sitting in their trauma. Like they don't know how to cope. They don't know how to move. You know, they ramble a lot. Um, I definitely have one client that sometimes our sessions, like they end and I'm just like, man, I didn't get to say much, you know, because it's just like they're hitting you, hitting you, hitting you with everything that's kind of been going on for them. And, you know, I think it's really important to help them make those connections of, you know, where's that coming from? Why do you feel like you need to overshare? How can this be contributing, you know, to some of the things that maybe is going on in your life now, but also getting the happy-go-lucky version to pay attention to the fact that this is probably a smokescreen you know, for you. Yes. And both of those, and both of those have a lot to do with just like identity and self-awareness. Right. Yeah. And I, and I think people forget sometimes, you know, when someone experiences trauma as a child, it can essentially change the whole trajectory of who they were supposed to be, you know, so their whole identity, their adulthood is based off of this little child that's hurt you know, and, and that's why their interactions go the way they do. That's why their relationships go the way they do. And, you know, I find one thing that I find, which is why I started working with this population is that issue with intimacy, not knowing how to love and how to receive love properly because of how they've been hurt, especially with sexual trauma. You don't really know sometimes, you know, what that is supposed to look like. You know, they're predisposed to domestic violence relationships. Um, majority of the clients I work with now are single moms. Like the father is either barely there or, you know, has them in court and he doesn't even do his part. So it's kind of like just putting them through, you know, the ropes and the hoops of, you know, like I'm just gonna mess with you just a little bit more because I can, you know, and just kind of helping them cope with those things, you know, yeah. and I and I definitely see once they come into motherhood, they start to struggle with their trauma a lot, um, just because they don't want to do the same thing again that was done to them, um, you know, and, and a lot of them so far are moms of boys, so I notice a little bit of difference between that and moms of girls, too. Yeah, yeah. So talk about, like, in your business, what you do, like, you're specifically, mm-hmm. your like, coaching business, and what are some mm-hmm. things you coach clients to overcome? Okay. So the coaching part of my business is really focused around like the self-esteem and the dating issues. So really just working on like that mindset, mindfulness piece, really giving them, you know, tools on grounding and really just kind of being able to check yourself in the moment of feeling anxious and just kind of how to present yourself when you are looking for a potential partner And, you know, one thing that I focus on specifically um, with the survivors is kind of that reconnection to your body. A lot of women that have experienced sexual trauma are not looking forward to having sex. They know it's supposed to be this pleasurable thing. You definitely have the half of women that they do it too much because they feel like that's probably all they're good for, that's all they're worth, or that's the only time they feel good. Um, And then you have the women who are terrified to date. They don't want a man to touch them. You know, they feel like they're getting older and they may never get married. They may never have kids. They may never do anything. So the coaching piece is honestly really for the people who are not ready to do the deep work, but really want to work on like the present day. Like I'm anxious about this. Um, I know I have this trauma, but I'm not ready to go that far yet. So can we figure out how to make the day-to-day stuff kind of work? So that's what I work with them on. The counseling intensive that I do um, is actually a a three-month program. So that's where we really do the hard, hard, hard stuff. Yeah, because it sounds like there's just a lot of shame attached to the intimacy piece. 
Yes, and definitely. For both sides, very like I am going to, I want to have a lot of sex versus, and again, mm-hmm. you know, I'm speaking from someone who's never experienced it, but in saying that mm-hmm. to say just a lot of shame on both ends of what this looks like. And right. intimacy, just speaking even from my own experience with intimacy as a person who you know, the way that I was introduced to intimacy was, was not taught. It wasn't really something that I just kind of learned as I grew up and it wasn't. And then when I would talk to my mom about it, it was a lot of shame because it was like, Mm -hmm. you need to be abstinent. You're not abstinent. Mm -hmm. God's not going to this, 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 that. And so it became very shameful. And so I can only imagine on the layer of adding and attaching trauma to that, Mm-hmm. how much shame that is for someone who is you know you think oh I get married it just goes away and it's just like no that does not or I get yeah. into a relationship that just goes away and it's just like yeah. that's not the case right and and you definitely have to learn and, and a big part of where I start off with a lot of my clients is really asking them what are some of those first you know images and messages they've received on love and intimacy yeah. what did their household look like you know because a lot of them don't know how to date you know, and I mean, not that dating right now is easy anyway, because, you know, we have social media and all these things that are playing a factor into the dating world, but they're definitely struggling, you know, with this whole idea of what do I say? How do I present myself? Do I disclose that this has happened to me? Because that's something in my journey with my son's father that I had never dealt with. I never dealt with you know, talking about that. And unfortunately, there was a a situation where, you know, we were engaging and I had like a a moment, like I had a a flashback and he did not know I responded. Like he was terrified. He was just like, oh my God, I did something wrong. You're crying. You're not supposed to be crying. You know, we're done, you know, let's, you know, whatever. And I couldn't even stop in the moment to explain to him what was going on for me and what was going on in my mind and my body, like why I was shaking, why I was crying, you know, and he was like, I figured that maybe that's what it was, but some people don't even want to really tell people that, you know, when they're dating, like that's something very deep and personal, you know, to me. So some men will run when they hear stuff like that. So a lot of women, sometimes they just go through life. Like, I'm not going to mention this, you know, and I teach them, you know, like you can talk about this, there's power, in talking about this and it's a part of your story. It's an unfortunate part of your story, but it is a piece of who you are. And I'm not gonna say your partner deserves to know that, but I feel like the women need to kind of own that this trauma has happened to them and understand that if you plan to have a successful relationship, these things do have to be addressed. You don't have to give all the specifics, but you can at least acknowledge that, you know, I do have this in my past. I do struggle with this to this extent. you know, as my partner, I, I may need some support around how to move through these things when they do pop up for me. Yeah, that's good. And I think that that gives practical steps. I think when, mm-hmm. you are, when you've gone through something of that nature, you know, you feel very alone and like, I don't even know step one, two, three, four, five. Right. I don't know right. how to even get to step one or start that process. Mm-hmm. And, and then right. to feel like there's, there's a lens of hope to do it. Cause I think there's no, there's no frame of reference of who else has gone through something like this that can give me help to mm-hmm. understand. And so when you have right. like practical steps, it can feel less daunting or intimidating. 
Exactly. Yeah. And, and I definitely have done videos on how to support someone if you're dating someone with this history, you know, how to work with them and how to be a support to them, you know, because a lot of people really don't know what survivors go through. And, and like we were talking about earlier, that shame factor is there. There's a lot of ignorance about it, you know, in the media and, and people, you know, they, they're just very ignorant when it comes to the comments, you know, they think like, you asked for it, what you were wearing, like just all these different things. And I think survivors already <laughs> struggle, you know, with did I do something to cause this, you know? So it's like, don't add that on that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yes. So talk a little bit about your story um, and what you want to share, of course, but, and, and add that on to like how that introduced you to going to counseling. Okay. So my, uh, my incidents happened about the age of 16 and 17. I had two incidents um, occur in my adolescence. And um, my first incident was actually with a relative who I didn't know was a relative until maybe just about a week or so uh, before it happened. And um, basically, weirdly, what happened is um, I was dating someone in the neighborhood of my high school um, at the time. And he unfortunately was in a gang and he hung around a lot of people in the neighborhood. We were about the age of 15, 16, but some of the people in his um, neighborhood were a little older, like pushing 20. And um, there was one person in particular that always used to joke around with me, you know, pick on me and stuff like that. And I figured, okay, maybe, you know, he liked me and, um, Weirdly, I found out that he was my cousin because I had went to an event and it was kind of like my country's Independence Day. And um, my father introduced me to a woman that was my cousin. This woman happened to be this person's mother. I didn't know that at the time until one day I had to call his house for something because the mom had asked, you know, if I can tutor her daughter, which is, you know, would be my little cousin. So I called the house and she saw my last name. And that's when she was just like, hmm, you know, you have the same last name as um, my son, you know? So that's when we kind of got into this conversation of, oh, okay, we're related. And that's when I realized, you know, this person is your son. And I didn't have any issues with him, but I started, you know, I agreed to tutor. And, um, you know, from there, I realized that there would be times where he would, you know, try to get me alone and I never really told anybody about it. Um, I think what happened for me one day is I was in the room um, working with the daughter and I guess he sent her to the store. I don't know if he paid her or whatever the case was, but I guess he told her like leave and don't come back for like X, Y, Z amount of time. And um, his mom ended up coming home at some point and I think she suspected something was going on or something was wrong. Um, there was even a point where I think she like knocked on the door and was like, that's your cousin. Like, what are you doing? What's going on? You know, and I just felt very, you know, helpless um, in that situation because it's like, who do you call? What do you do? If your own parent is outside of a door and can't do anything. And, and I can understand racially why maybe she wouldn't have wanted to like call authorities in that moment. Um, but, you know, I just felt very defeated. Um, with that situation. And I remember, 
you know, him kind of acknowledging to some degree what he did because he, the last thing he said to me was like, don't tell anybody about this, you know? So to me, it was kind of like, you knew what you did was wrong. And, and in that moment, I kind of just felt like I need to leave. Um, like, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to, you know, acknowledge that this happened. I just want to remove myself from this. I never want to come back here. I will not be doing tutoring, you know? And I think the mother at that point, she clearly understood why I never came back. Um, and it was just something we never discussed. And Unfortunately, I my mind kind of shifted to this whole thing, like I can't tell because of how it will impact other people, you know, and I feel like sometimes when you're in the helping profession or when you're kind of on that track to be in the helping profession, sometimes you shift your focus off of yourself yep. and other people. And that's kind of where some of those negative <laughs> behaviors come in. And um, I kept that secret for years because I was worried that had I disclosed to like my father that there would have been some level of retaliation, you know, he would have been a father and, and acted out and potentially went to jail, you know, this guy's a gang member, you know, just all these things and I didn't want that, you know, I didn't want the drama, I didn't want to be the focus. So I just kind of kept it to myself until a year later, um, I was actually coming home from youth group um, at church on a Friday night um, I would walk home typically it's like a 15 minute walk from my church to my house and my best friend lives in a certain neighborhood not too far from me but I had a family friend um, who was a, a cousin of someone that I grew up with and I just remember getting into that neighborhood and I really really had to use the bathroom so I tried calling my friend she wasn't home I guess they had went to dinner or something like that and I ended up you know sending him a message like can I please use your bathroom I don't think I can make it home and of course you know willingly he was like yeah sure no problem but you know I don't know if he was intoxicated or whatever the case was but he um ended up taking advantage of me um at that point and the biggest thing I struggled with at that point that I didn't know at that age is your body's gonna respond because of the stimulus of the situation. And I remember in the moment thinking like, does this mean I like it? Because this thing is happening to me. Um, and I noticed, well, I don't wanna say, cause that's a little bit too um, identification purposes. <laughs> you know, it might be a little bit obvious of who the person is, but I, I realized something that day that kind of gave me a clue that he may have done this to someone before because there was a certain, um, like scar that I noticed that was a pretty intense scar that looked like maybe somebody tried to defend themselves mm. against him. And I remember not talking about that either. Um, what actually ended up pushing me to kind of try to start talking about it was I would see them, you know, in the neighborhood. I would see them at family engagements and they always were all, all smiles and, hey, how you doing? And, you know, and I just remember feeling like that, you know, that fight or flight feeling of like your senses are just heightened and you know you're in close proximity to this person and even though in that moment they can't hurt you just you know thinking about the fact that they did you know was very hard for me and I, just a huge yeah trip. yeah and just the fact that they're smiling and life is all good for them and you have to deal with this painful moment you know was really sad for me and you know it took me about seven years to disclose to my mom I never wanted to talk to a therapist about it. Like I said earlier, just, you know, um, I was dealing with a lot of white women, um, you know, and I was just trying to deal with the whole oh depression, anxiety. I wasn't really going into the history of, you know, why I came to that point. And then I realized around grad school that like, 
this is where it's coming from and, and I have to talk about it. And the first time I ended up disclosing it to someone other than my mother was actually in my group counseling class. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure you know in school they make you practice being a yeah. professional and a client. So that's kind of when I started getting into the habit of saying this happened to me. And I remember um, having a breakdown about it, you know, hearing it out loud and saying it out loud and, and feeling the reactions of, you know, my colleagues in the room who, you know, had relationships with me at that point, still the only black person in the room though. But, you know, I felt like it was a safe space. Um, they were disclosing a lot of tragic things that happened to them too. So I just kind of got in the habit of this feels good to talk about. It's yeah. scary, but that release of like, I'm holding on to like the deepest secret in the world. You know, I just finally said it. It's out there. People know. And I just kind of kept putting myself into a position to keep talking about it. Um, you know, joining organizations that deal with that population that benefit women who are also survivors going on live and talking about it. I actually did that a couple years ago, about two years ago, I went on live and I just started talking about it. Yeah, and, and you yeah. find it, that you find, there's a couple of things you said, um, there's a follow-up question I have, there's a couple of things you said, and I say this all the time that, um, you know, I always pinned therapy as my open confessional. And I always mm-hmm. said, mm-hmm. the more I talked about something that bothered me, the less power the enemy had over me about it right. because I was able to feel empowered to talk. Yeah. I think yes. that's one of those things that's like, you don't really know how powerful your voice is until you use it. That's and so you see true. how powerful your voice changes things. And so yeah. like, hearing that is just another example of how powerful this story is because mm-hmm. somebody that's listening may have never disclosed and right, so yeah. you're like somebody else that is a black woman like me has experienced this mm-hmm. it's experienced it multiple times or in mm-hmm. in more than one occasion but also is like vocally mm-hmm. very transparently saying it gives power to that person that like I'm not by myself right and and that's what I noticed because when I went live I was I was very like shook you know about the whole situation because I was just like everybody on my Facebook about to know my business you know and you know I have people on Facebook from all over you know school church everywhere you know and the amount of messages I got after that saying, I still haven't told my mother and I'm 45 years old. I haven't done this and I'm 50 years old. You know, really was kind of my confirmation in that moment of, okay, God, like, oh, yeah, I girl. think this is what I'm supposed to do. Yes. And, and yeah. surprisingly enough, like, you become surprised that how impactful it is of like, mm-hmm. this is such a horrible thing that happened to me. Mm-hmm. But people are impacted by this in a way that they see themselves. Yeah. How, how does your how did your mom react when you told her what happened? She was very hurt um, because she had a similar situation. She was never uh, sexually assaulted, but her stepfather tried um, when she was about sixteen, and um, from there, she she ended up having a trauma. It became a trauma for her more so because her mother, who you know is my maternal grandmother. Um, kind of walked in on the situation and took her husband's side. So her reflex at the time, you know, was to go into the kitchen, 
grabbed something to harm my mother with and basically was like, you're trying to steal my husband, you know? And my mom was like 16 at the time and that put her into severe depression. Um, And that's kind of the real reason she's in this country in the first place. Like she had to get away um, from the house. And if it wasn't for her siblings, kind of like, you know, hiding her and locking her in the bathroom and trying to hold my grandmother back, you know, she may have been harmed that day. And it took her years to even confront her mother about that painful memory. And I think, you know, what really pushed her to talk about it was it started to become a thing in the media. You know, Oprah was talking about it and survivors were coming on TV talking about it. And she realized I'm holding on to this thing. I'm, you know, smiling in in this man's face. You know, um, he's the reason I have a green card to come into this country. So he feels entitled um, you know, he actually just passed away too, maybe about a, a year or so ago. So um, I think she struggled with feeling like, you know, I owe these people something. Um, you know, she didn't recognize the depression, the isolation. She ended up being hospitalized. Um, she refused to eat, you know, and stuff like that. And these are things that she didn't want to tell me as a mother. But one day she actually admitted to me that the reason she was so hard on me is because I had hit that same age that she was when that happened to her and she was terrified. So she kind of forced the disclosure out of me because she picked up on it. I was probably about 23 at the time that I told her and this had happened when I was like 16, 17. So I was holding on to it for quite a while. Um, she really wanted me to talk about it. And she was just like, you know, why didn't you tell me, you know, and why would I tell you, <laughs> you know, just with our history. Um, I didn't feel like she was a safe person to to talk to about that. And um, that's a, she I, felt- that's, And not to say anything about that, but I like the words you use. I didn't feel safe to say yeah, it. I didn't, I didn't, um, you know, and, and she felt kind of weird trying to hide that from my father, um, being that, you know, it was his family and, and, you know, essentially people he brought me around. But, you know, I was just kind of like, you know, it is, it is what it is. It's happened to me. And, you know, I'm sorry that I didn't tell you, but, you know, it's kind of my story, you know, so I get to choose who I tell and who I don't tell, but I I did feel a little bit better telling her because it was just like, okay, she knows she's my Somebody that I know that knows. Okay. Right. Yeah. And so what (laughs) did that lead to with you going to counseling for yourself? especially kind of in the area where you were at with only really being around white therapists and being around white people um, as a black woman and like sharing that story. And so what was that process like for you to find a counselor? Well, what I actually ended up doing is one of my teachers, um, one of the first teachers I had in grad school is a black woman. And I basically found out that she was working at like the clinic, you know, on campus. So I basically asked her and I said, hey, you know, you're not currently my professor. Would it be okay if I can, you know, see you? Because I really am struggling with the fact that I keep seeing all these white professionals and they don't understand me and and what I go through. And what I was able to do with her is really address some of that trauma and just kind of how it spills into my dating life. And that's when I started to realize like the connect and, and what I allowed um, to happen. And at that time, I was actually um, with my son's father. We're no longer together. Um, but at that time was kind of when our relationship started. And I started realizing a lot of the patterns that I had um, and just certain things that he did to me that I allowed, unfortunately, to happen for years. But 
I really did spend a good amount of time talking to her about the race piece and just how it plays into the trauma and how it adds like another layer of stress. You know, you can Google, you know, people who are survivors and you find a lot of these supports for white women and, you know, women of other races. But I really still to this day can't find many black women that do what I do. I know they're out there, but it's it's so like whitewashed with all these white women doing it. Right. So that's why I was like, you know, it's important for people to feel like they can find somebody. So I was like, you know, I have to put myself out there. I have to talk about this. You know, every day I don't work on my business. Every day I delay this another year is another year that multiple women are being assaulted and they can't find me. You know, they're going on Google looking and they can't find me, you know, and I feel like that's really pushed me to say like, I have to do this and I have to do it now. Yeah. And so throughout your counseling process for yourself, and then we can definitely talk about for other survivors, what were some of the deep-rooted things that you saw that you discovered about yourself throughout that time? Well, I definitely discovered that I had like some personal issues with myself stemming from my childhood, Um, you know, not feeling valued enough, just kind of in some ways dating because the person liked me enough. But I did definitely go through periods of, you know, sexual promiscuity. You know, I felt like this is what it is. This is what guys like, you know, and I wanted so badly to be in control And I went on this really bad spiral of sleeping around because I felt like I'm going to handle this situation. I'm going to control it and you can't hurt me because I'm the one kind of deciding how you have access to me in that way. And if I feel like it's going to go in a way that's not my favor, I'm going to disappear from the situation before I feel that, you know, and, and I, in my mind told myself, I have to be like a guy. I have to date like a guy. I have to juggle multiple people. I didn't, have any regards for anybody's feelings after the second time I was assaulted because I think after the first time I was kind of like isolating like wow something bad happened to me but when it happened that second time I was really angry like I was really angry with God because I was just like why would you let this happen to me I'm sorry I'm a little emotional no it's okay but it was just like how does something like that happen twice you know and it, it was really hurtful to me and I struggled in my relationship because it was just like why you keep letting this stuff happen to me like I'm not a bad person I don't do anything to hurt anybody you know I go to church I'm in church like six days a week you know I live my life the way I'm supposed to live my life I do everything that's expected of me and still you know something like that can happen to me you know so I know that there's other people out there that, you know, deal with it. And, you know, even though I'm in some ways far removed from it, I still do have these moments where it's like, wow, you know, that happened. And and I think going to college, you know, being around people that maybe aren't Christian and you start looking into other ways of lives and other belief systems. And it really just kind of. All that, sis. All that. All of that. All of that stuff. You like, look, you ain't (laughs) what the guy that people be talking about. You ain't. And so you'd be like, uh, <laughs> what's some other stuff? I, I, I went mm-hmm. to college too. So yes. Yeah. 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 And, and I kept looking for it. I kept trying to find spaces where I can, you know, worship. And 
it was just all these white programs and these white ways of, you know, worshiping that weren't anything like what I was used to. And I would go for the Bible studies and stuff like that. And I would do the one-on-one coaching and it just wasn't sticking. Like I always wanted to come home and be a part of my congregation and dance and sing and do all the things that I love to do. But then it just, you know, things just kept happening as I got older, bad things just kept happening. And it really just made me question like, what is the point? Yeah. You know, like, why am I doing all of this? And just to validate you, like, I think those are so real feelings and they are so, you know, people, people will try to say, I'm, I'm, I was angry with God. And it's like, there are times where when you're in that space, you genuinely are so angry with God. It's like, I don't want to know you. Like, I don't want to be Mm -hmm. a Christian. Mm -hmm. I don't want to Mm -hmm. this because you're so angry Mm -hmm. about the things that have happened. And Mm -hmm. those are so real feelings. And I don't think we talk about that much, especially when it comes to trauma and experiencing Mm -hmm. trauma of that caliber. Like it just, it eats you up. And, and one of the things that I learned, um, kind of, as I was rediscovering God to kind of even bring a layer to this was one of the things I learned was that God can handle my real feelings about him. And I didn't really understand that because that wasn't Mm -hmm. something that was, you know, we're taught to honor God. We're taught to reverence Mm -hmm. him. We're taught to glorify him and praise him. Mm -hmm. But it's like, if I'm on a, if I'm a daughter and my feelings are hurt about something, Mm -hmm. why would I not be able to express my feelings about this and it not be a thing where it's like, kind of like the way we grow up, the narrative Mm -hmm. we're taught is you do as I say, no matter what I say, because I'm right. And I'm the parent. So that becomes, that becomes the example that we feel towards God. God. Like what your word says. So this is what I have to do. But it's like, as I learned over Mm -hmm. time who God was, what was presented was a God that wanted me to share my feelings, no matter right. how ugly they were, no right. matter how jacked up it was. And right. it was very, very overwhelming to feel that way because there were so many times for years, you just feel so angry that you just am like, what's the point? Why would I, why would I want to express? Right. Yeah. And, and I struggled with that for a long time to the point that, I started realizing that the times that I felt less Christian-like was when I was in relationships and they never worked out, none of them. They never worked out. And every time I was single is when I felt like I paid more attention to God and, and what he was saying. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that if God is definitely sending you messages and you just keep ignoring it, ignoring, he's going to make you see it. He's going to, oh, yeah. even if it has to hurt for you to come back. And, and I feel like that's kind of, you know, where I am now, where I feel like I strayed away for a while. And, you know, being in a relationship, you know, there's certain beliefs that are shared. And sometimes, you know, they influence you, you influence them. And, you know, my son's father definitely struggled with with his relationship with God, too. And he wasn't, you know, someone I would consider to be a Christian. And I was fine with it. Because, you know, when I met him, I was at a place where I was questioning, like, is this me? Do I want to be a Christian? You know, so I allowed the relationship to go the way it was. And there were times where I felt like I tried to bring him you know, into Christianity. And, you know, sometimes he was open to it. Sometimes he was resistant because his life didn't go the way that he, you know, planned. So he was going through the same motions as me, but, you know, this last situation with, um, you know, just like my pregnancy and everything, like we broke up while I was pregnant, 
you know, like everything that I could have possibly been scared of happening in our relationship happened, you know, my son was definitely planned, you know, so I went through this whole pregnancy without contact from my, to this day, I don't know where he is, you know, and I had to go through that level of hurt after being with somebody for eight years, you know, going through that level of hurt. Um, my son looks exactly like his father, you know, dealing with that too. And, you know, just learning to kind of love myself all over again. And, you know, really just kind of being a beacon of hope for other women that may be going through the same things because I see it happen so often, you know, but I, I feel a lot stronger in my faith now because I just realized like how far I strayed away from, from Christianity, how far I strayed away from God. And I think, you know, to some degree, I had to really shape what my relationship with God looked like and understand that that's my relationship yes. with God. It's not my mother's relationship. You know, it's not about being in church every Sunday because uh, some of those people, they don't belong there. <laughs> you know, like, you know, some of the things I see them do, I'm just like, you know, you need to sit down with your Bible just a little bit longer because the things that you do and the things that come out of your mouth, you know, just, it doesn't matter if you're here every Sunday because inside you're not who you need to be. You're not with the that's scripture. Good. Yeah. So it took me a while to really like redefine what that looks like for myself and, you know, kind of to stand up to my mother and say, listen, like my relationship with God is my relationship with God. You don't have to worry about my relationship. Worry about your relationship. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to do what I have to do. God knows my heart. God knows everything before I do it. He knew that this was going to happen. And maybe this is what I needed to really reconfirm where I needed to be, you know, so I definitely had to start my healing journey over you know, and, and that's why I wanted to put it into my work, because yeah. I was just like, I think a lot of women, you know, face these things, and they come here, and I'm very transparent about myself and my story, and I find that a lot of other women who are survivors, they need that. They don't need that therapist that's going to sit across the room and say, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, wow, oh my God, that's so hard, and not that I'm bringing my situation into the therapy session, but just being honest and saying, like, I know what that feels like. Yeah. I know that that's hard. And kind of what that brought to brings to my, my mind is just the aspect of it being like, just like I want a black woman. I Mm want to be able to have a woman that's Christian as a counselor. I want Mm -hmm. someone that sticks across me, understands my trauma. I want someone that can understand what I'm, what I've experienced and be able to help me understand and bring those pieces together because it's like as a counselor or as a therapist it's common knowledge to us like we understand bookwise trauma we understand how it changes our brain we understand mm-hmm. what comes up we understand the depression and anxiety but it's not yeah. common knowledge to other people it's not no, it's something not. they're living it unknowing not knowing what it is and so to have someone who also understands that piece of it but then also experienced it to be able to tie those things together it Mm -hmm. it makes the process of healing more rich and 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 it also adds a trust factor in between another person yeah and and i find that and you know and i know coming into this profession I dealt with imposter syndrome a lot because I'm like oh my god if I cry they're gonna think I'm weak or they're gonna think that I didn't work put the work in to do this you know and I find that my clients don't leave me alone 
you know, like I'm looking and I'm talking, I'm like, you know, this is our 95th session. And they're like, really? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, you've been my client for like two, three years now, you know, working on this because I think also with trauma, there's no real end goal, you know, as far as there's no like, you're ready for discharge now, you know, it's, it's a continual thing. There's a, you know, my clients reach this point of maintenance where it's like, I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. I'm not in crisis. I'm doing okay, but I still need somebody, Yeah. you know, and, and just really working with them to find some of those supports in their own life, you know, is really important because they will hold on to you if you let them. Oh girl, know? I know I was with mine for two years and when she would be like, well, you know, we're on this number session. I'm like, okay, what they may like, <laughs> girl. And I discharged after two years of seeing her weekly for almost a year and a half. Wow. Weekly. Wow. And then when then switched to bi-weekly, like very like hesitant. And mm. then, you know, when the COVID stuff happens, revisiting her again, but I was really in maintenance, just needed mm-hmm. to like revisit some of those tools yeah. in my toolkit. And so right. I think you're right. And I'm glad you said that because I think people think there's an end date most times, but therapy is a tool. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Sometimes you really do need to process your seasons. And like you said, like you're in a place where you're revisiting this healing process mm-hmm. in a different transition um, right. because you're always like, you can pull the weeds up all day, yeah. but you're constantly cultivating that garden. You're right. constantly cultivating that space. You can pull right. it up, make it pretty all day, but there is something that's going to try to still kind of pull and bring mm-hmm. weeds up. And so you constantly have to realize like the mind you're always working on. This is yeah. always the ground that God yeah. is constantly working on and things yeah. happen in life that can re-trigger us. Yes, you're yeah. aware, but even with awareness, that doesn't mean you're not impacted by it. You know what I'm right. saying? Like I notice when I've spent confidence is a big one for me. Perfectionism is a big one for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, working through not comparing is a big one for me. Those are mm-hmm. times where, okay, I'm realizing I'm spending too much time on social media, looking at everybody else in their life and being influenced by their life. I need a break. Or there right. are times where I'm spending too much time giving, 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 giving everybody else. I need to take a break. Right. I'm aware but it doesn't mean that I can't or I still don't need to work on it on a consistent exactly. Exactly. Right. And and that's why I'm just like, you know, it it definitely is something that I normalize for my clients, you know. And I tell them, you're doing great. Like, you know, reminding them like what they were like when they first came, like tearful every session, rambling you know, to the point that they're like, I know the session's over, but can I have some more time, (laughs) you know? So just showing them like, you know, sometimes even in those dark moments, like the things in their life that are going well, you know, the things in their life that they have kind of checked off their list, that's no longer an issue for them. So it's like this big thing may definitely still be here. We're still kind of chipping away at it like a rock, but everything else is kind of holding its place, you know? So it's like, at least you don't have this and everything else. Yeah. Yes. It's just so this. good. It's just so good for them to know. Like, yeah. My therapist reminds me that often, and I'm like, girl, I be feeling like I'm jacked up. And then when she reminds <laughs> me, I'm like, oh, you know, I'm pretty okay. Yeah, I'm doing a lot better than I thought. <laughs> so for you, um, kind of talk through what was it like to build your relationship with God throughout that process and how did therapy impact that? So uh, what I actually found is I definitely 
wanted, like you were saying, like a therapist that had the Christian background, you know, if this was something that I wanted to refocus on, I, I definitely needed someone that can, you know, speak that same type of language, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, with me, I didn't want someone that, you know, wasn't a believer, um, mm-hmm, that would kind of mm-hmm. like exacerbate that situation. So I started doing things like finding different people in the community, like, um, you know, people who have churches online, you know, before COVID was a thing and people Mm -hmm. would just have their services. So even though I wasn't really going to my particular church, um, I actually had an issue with the previous pastor that kind of pushed me out of church Mm -hmm. um, at a time when I was still trying to figure things out, ended up going to a non-denominational church that was just strictly praise and worship and the Bible sermon. And that's it. There wasn't all the extra stuff of who's on what committee and who's doing this and what you're doing and what you're not doing. Are you paying your tithes? Are you doing this? So I found that I connected to that church a lot better because mm-hmm. it was just, we love God. This is what we do. And this is the song we sing in today. This is what the story is today. This is what the sermon is today. Be blessed. Go about your day. It wasn't all the extra noise that I feel my church kind of had, you know, just with, um, you know, the cultural aspect and just the overall history. My church has been around for a long time. So a lot of the older uh, people in the congregation remember a lot, you know, and they tend to dig into the past and bring up old stuff. And that made me kind of uncomfortable. And, and I think to some degree, the biggest barrier I had was I'm still viewed as a child here, you know? Girl, okay, <laughs> I'm a whole adult and I got my own stuff, okay? Yeah, exactly. So I wasn't able to grow there spiritually in the way that I wanted to because I was seen as that youth. Yeah, just like I'm 31. You know, I'm not. I'm not 16. I'm not 14. I'm not 15. You know, and and we're not opposed to doing these things, but they they really honestly pushed the youth out of the church. They're still there. You know, they're still definitely there, but it's not the same because we were more so a part of you know. The congregation were a part of you know the service and now it's kind of like we'll call you when we need you you know and it's like that's not healthy for my spiritual growth if you only call me when you need me oh that's good you don't yeah like you don't value my opinion in bible study because i'm not there yet i'm not 65 you know and that doesn't mean i don't have something to offer like i have things to offer you know so it actually led me to become the uh the youth uh, coordinator to work with the new youth because I was just like I want to keep them encouraged but I do want to infuse like that worldly like this is the life we live there's going to be all these messages that tell you don't do church don't do this this is cool tiktok you know and all these things so I try to like infuse it because realistic I'm not that much older than them when you think about it I'm you're about half my life but you know it's probably easier for me to talk to you than it is for someone up there to talk to you at that age mm-hmm. So I ended up kind of having to go through a process of making sure I found someone that, you know, understood where I came from, understood why I struggled with these areas, but also kind of put me in a place to be accountable. And, you know, with my therapist now, um, and this is funny how God works, because I actually found her two years ago. I did a consultation with her two years ago, and I chose someone else um, who specialized with working with people who were in the helping profession. So I figured at that time, like, okay, maybe she understands me a little bit more because she's a therapist that works with therapists, that works with nurses, you know, that works with teachers. So she understands the stress that we go through 
um, as far as having our own stuff, but also listening to people's stuff all day long and, you know, kind of dealing with that. And I felt comfortable with the woman I didn't pick who's my therapist now, but I think I shifted that way and it ended up not being what I really wanted it to be. So I kind of circled back and reached back out to this woman. And luckily, you know, she was able to um, see me. She, you know, was taking new clients. And I was always kind of worried about the money piece because it's expensive, you know, to go to counseling. But, um, you know, I guess the lucky thing about it is because I gave birth earlier this year and I met my deductible, counseling is free for me now. Girl, (laughs) talk about it, okay? Yeah, so I was like, I want to be seen twice a week because, you know, I'm going to make use of this free time, you know, until my deductible starts over. So we actually ended up like really clicking. I really, really love meeting with her. Um, So I'm currently seeing her twice a week. And, you know, one thing that she had me do recently was kind of like a pie chart about the different things kind of going on in my life and just how much the percentage of each thing was. And I noticed that my spirituality part wasn't as big as I wanted it to be. So we talked a lot about what I was doing at, at a point in my life when it was higher you know, and just kind of how to integrate that back into yeah, my life, you know, now that I'm, yeah, yeah. So now that I'm a mom, you know, it's hard to find time for myself, you know, um, with working and working the second job and just kind of building my own business and then having him who needs me, you know, all day, every day, you know, just kind of shifting to that focus of, I have to be okay to be, you know, for him to be okay. Like yeah. it, it's not always about him. And I know, it's hard because he's a baby and, you know, he needs me. And I think we've always been taught, like, your baby needs you. You got to do what your baby needs, but not thinking, like, I got to have needs too. And I got to meet my needs too. I don't want to neglect myself in the process. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like I definitely have um, just because of the trauma, you know, that I've dealt with just because of the situation with his father, you know, I just kind of like suck everything into motherhood and you know it became my whole life you know and I never wanted to leave him and you know when I really looked at it I spent like 22 hours a day you know with my son you know I and if I'm not with him it's because I'm doing something work-related you know something that can't require him to be in the background you know so um I had to kind of rework that you know I had to definitely put more of myself my me time in there, um, my spirituality, like, you know, even if that means me time is something shared with him, but it's still for me, like, you know, it could be quiet time, it could be while he naps, maybe I'm listening to some of the gospel songs that I really love, or, you know, doing like a plan on like my Bible app in the morning, like, you know, maybe he's eating and I'm just reading like what the scriptures are for the day or what the prayer is for the morning, you know, so definitely taking the time to infuse those things back in and not feeling like I have to choose because I think for a long time I felt like it's either God or therapy, you know, And, and you can have both, you know, so I think culturally you know like my parents they don't see it that way but you know for me it's important to know that I can have both and to know that I can use one yeah use one to build the other (laughs) I love both both is very helpful to me okay yes (laughs) (laughs) that's so good and I think you know one of the things you said was taking care of self was a thing that was missing and part of that is also impact of our spiritual self as well because Mm -hmm. I noticed the same pattern when I don't when I'm not paying attention to me my 
my, my time with God is shortened yeah. or it's non-existent or it's very, very inconsistent or I'm like right. using, like I'm, I'm talking to him as I'm doing a bunch of other stuff instead of being present. And that mm-hmm. makes a ton of difference. So right. I'm very glad you shared that. So in wrapping yeah. up, um, first of all, thank you. This has been such a rich <laughs> conversation. Uh, so why don't you tell the people where they can find you? Okay. So um, I am Cultivated Truth on pretty much everything, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Um, that's also my website. Oh, geez, I'm saying it wrong. <laughs> CultivatedTruth.com is my website where you can um, find out about all my services so I, I housed all of my services in that one website. I will have other websites too to kind of break things up. But for right now, you can go to cultivatedtruth.com or you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I would say mostly Facebook and Instagram because I'm more interactive on those. So you can find me there and I have you know links in my bio to everything I do, mailing lists, everything. And um, you know my classes, I, I do a lot. So yes. find it there. Well, thank you, sis. I will have all of Melina's information in the show notes for you all. And thank you so much. I appreciate you. And I love y'all. And we'll talk next week. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.